Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's okay to fuck up and it's okay to get to these places and to lose certain friends. And if you don't really experience that hurt, you'll never grow and you'll never learn. You'll never have a comparison. Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back on to It Ain't Week to Speak with Sam Webb. I'm very grateful to join you again for another podcast, another fortnight here with me. Thank you so much for for listening into these podcasts all the time, wherever you are, running, walking, talking, hanging out by yourself on a commute to work. I hope you're taking away some great things from these podcasts because that's what it is all about. Now, before we get into episode number 65 with an amazing guest, that is my promise to you guys. Today's episode is going to be unbelievable. But before we get into that, I just want to say thank you, and I want you guys to remind yourself to look after yourself, and uh, I hope you're looking after the people in your life that you care about, and whatever journey you're on right now, if it's going well, keep going, and if it's not going so well, I'm thinking of you, and know that bad times certainly don't stay persistent forever, they do change, so stay patient, stay persistent, and give yourself a pat on the back for getting this far in your journey. No one's journey or no one's single experience is perfect for the entirety of life. That is a fact. We all go through great times, rough times, bad times, traumatic experiences. And then we come out the other side with the help and support of the people in our lives and the things that we learn from within that make us stronger. And we learn from the things that, you know, we make mistakes on or things that have failed in our life, whether that's work or relationships or just things that we're not feeling too comfortable within ourselves. If you're going through it right now, I'm thinking of you. Remember, there's always help and support out there. So don't be scared to ask. That is our mantra. It ain't weak to speak. And I always say, if you're ever in doubt, you know, in your life and you don't know what to do or what to say, just ask and just be honest. You know, I don't have the answers. A lot of people don't have the answers, but they can certainly listen at the best of times. But anyway, amazing things are happening at living as a always have and as they always do all thanks to our supporters our very very big community that we're very grateful to have in the living corner obviously none of this is made possible without our community community is the lifeblood of living you take away the community and that includes our listeners on the podcast people that donate to our cause so that we can continue the great work that we do in the communities whether it's people buying apparel donating through our website or on fundraisers or you're even booking us in to come and speak at your workplace or your school these are all the things that you can do to help spread the living message and we just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's supported us up until now and obviously i always 
give big kudos to the team. Obviously, I'm here in LA working my little ass off, so to speak, but it gets tiring and it gets, you know, lonely at times because I work remotely and I'm on the other end of the phone most of the time or Zoom and most of the team is back in Australia and they're doing an amazing job. So I always say great work to the team. I wouldn't be able to do what I do without you guys. So thank you. And thank you again to everyone who listens into these podcasts fortnight after fortnight, wherever you are. Thanks for your loyalty. If there's anything that you'd like to hear or see or guests that you'd love for me to feature on this podcast, please put them forward. Tag me on Instagram, tag living on Instagram, and we'll get back to you personally. That's what we strive to do. But anyway, let's get straight to it. This is episode number 65 on the podcast. We're in April and the time is flying. I don't know about you all, but it feels like as I'm getting older, things are becoming quicker and I'm already a very fast moving person. So no doubt with this podcast that we're about to get on right now is going to make us slow a little bit of time down and let's be in the very moment because this is a podcast you don't want to miss. Now, it gives me great pleasure to welcome this next guest onto the podcast and I'm going to try this in American accent and see if it works. But her name is Ireland Basinger Baldwin and she's from the USA. Some of you might recall or that last name or her middle name might ring a bell. Both of her parents are very well-known actors and have been in the entertainment industry for, for a number of years, decades. Won Golden Globes, Oscars, you name it. The family is unbelievable. We get to talk about Ireland's journey growing up in a, in a household that's basically been shown into the spotlight ever since she was a young girl. What that was like, the mental health repercussions of going through a family who had a very public divorce, very open and out there in the spotlight, what impact that had on her growing up, the impacts it still has on her today, how she handles social media, being in the limelight and all that sort of stuff. We obviously talk a little bit about her family and the great work that they've done in, in the movie and the film business and they continue to do. We talk about Ireland's work a little bit in writing and what she set out to achieve where she's living now up in Portland. I don't want to give too much away, but we really get down to talking about Ireland's own personal journey with mental health struggles over the years and particularly talking about anxiety. We talk about anxiety and panic attacks and I actually can resonate with Ireland on a lot of these things and that's why I was so excited to get her on the podcast because her story is certainly not too dissimilar to what we hear quite often, but it's really, really beautiful to hear it in the way she articulates it in a way that I don't think I can articulate it that way. What we talk about here, and I want to make it very clear, as I always do, neither of us are mental health professionals by any means. We're both students of life. We've learned through our own experiences what anxiety and mental health challenges have had and the impacts that they continue to have and, and how we personally deal with them. None of it is mental health or professional advice. So I want to make that really clear. And if anything in this podcast brings up any red flags in your own life or creates any problems, please just disconnect from this podcast, take a break and come back to it when you are feeling mentally up to it. Because at times we, we do talk about some very deep and sensitive topics on this podcast, but I'm so grateful to bring Ireland on. I don't want to give away too much more. There's so much that we cover. There's so much that we could have covered. This is my longest podcast yet, and I could have kept talking, and I was just grateful to steal Ireland's time. So without further ado, 
Let's bring Ireland Basinger Baldwin onto the podcast. Let's go! Welcome onto the podcast, Ireland Baldwin. I'm very, very excited to have you here. Last time I caught up with you, actually, was the first time I met you. It was in Las Vegas. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good from the home office, as I always am. It doesn't really change for me. What about you? Where are you right now? Where am I speaking to you at? Home office. I live in Portland, Oregon now. You know, home office life. I never leave this room. Is that like your comfort zone, that room? Is that where it all happens? Pretty much. I mean, the transition I've made in my career is, you know, now that I'm focusing more on screenwriting, everything I do is from home and I'm writing from home. So I have this office. To be honest with you, I love writing in bed. I love my bedroom. My bedroom is probably my safe space, but this comes second, you know. Can I ask you now, it's it's interesting that you've just gone straight into the screenwriting and then kind of the career switch and and whatnot, and you're probably on this mad mission to make it all work, and I can't wait to dive into that. When you say your safe space and the comfortable area to write is in your room, why is that? Like, is it because of the serenity? Is it where it's most quiet? Is it where you're most open-minded, where you use your imagination? What, What is it? I don't know. My room has always been a safe space for me, even since I was a little kid. I always kept to myself and always stayed in my room and I created sort of this little haven, you know, in everywhere that I've lived. I always had like a lot of plants in my room and I loved to kind of lock in and shut out the world and read books and be in my space. So, I mean, my office is that for me as well, but the sillier reason is I actually just love being in bed. I love being comfortable. I hate sitting in a chair all day. I either am like a standing desk person, like I like to be standing, or I like to be completely horizontal in a bed. So it's either one or the other, isn't it? Yeah. It's like one extreme or the other. I I have a really bad hunchback. I have horrible posture and I just like sitting in this chair. I don't have like one of those really kind of luxe like gamer chairs that I should have, you know? You can't get out of them though. You get stuck in them. I know, but that's what I need. And right now I have like what feels like a school, you know, those little chairs that have all that's missing is like the desk attachment. You're giving me a sore back thinking about it, Ireland. Let's go back a little bit though. Obviously, there are a lot of people who are probably listening to this podcast right now that know the name Baldwin and obviously in the family stuff. Talk to me about your younger years, growing up in a very very famous household and family are in the spotlight all the time. How does Ireland, as a young person, cope with that on a day-to-day basis growing up? And how does that affect you as this unique soul? I think it definitely did some damage. You know, it's not easy to go through somewhat normal and abnormal experiences as a family and hardship very publicly, you know? So it's like thinking about what you've gone through within your own family, but amplified on this crazy level because people can read about it everywhere. It brought me wonderful opportunities, you know? And when I was a kid growing up on movie sets and growing up in the business and seeing my parents, being able to travel the world and be on those movie sets and meeting incredible people. I mean, that's the beauty of it or the positive sides of it, but it is a bit tainted by the fact that you can't really have a normal childhood and you can't really just live your life and do your thing and make mistakes and be this person without this extremely added layer of judgment. And it's kind of like a a blessing and a curse, a double-edged sword, but 
you make it through. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, I certainly don't come from a famous household of people that have been in the limelight from when I was young. So yeah, I mean, it, I'd, I'd find it very challenging in a way. And like you said, it'd be like if you grew up and we're growing up and you make a decision that's probably not great and you maybe fuck up or something along the way, that issue is probably then multiplied because the rest of the world get to see it and they talk about it and all of that stuff. Well, it does. It causes like this domino effect for some people of more problems just because smaller things that you went through in your childhood and within that your family that, you know, on the grand scheme of things, maybe aren't such a big deal are made to be such a big deal because people's opinions and chiming in and blowing it up, you know, and then it becomes this bigger thing. It creates more chaos in your life. And you know what I mean? It's just, it's never ending cycle, you know? Yeah. And then you'd be like, I just wish it was kind of normal. Like, does it ever feel normal or is your normal, your normal? Really one of the biggest reasons I left Los Angeles was because everything there feels so abnormal and suffocating to me. Since I've been here, since I've moved here, I've found my sense of normal. I think I can be a person and I don't even consider myself a celebrity. I fucking hate that. I hate even thinking about it in that way because I haven't even done the things that I'm set out to do to prove what I can do and what I'm most proud of. Sure. I modeled, I did, you know, some things I'm proud of, but for the most part, like I don't even look at myself on that level or regard. And even here, like if I get approached by people or if I meet people, even just yesterday for the first time in a while, like I ran into like some really sweet people that came up to me and were really, I mean, as kind as can be. And that's just not the experience I have in LA. Everybody in LA is trying to be or look so much better than everyone else. Or like, it's just the sense of cool that they have to have. They're kind of turning their nose up at you or bitchiness or something. Like it's not cool to be kind in LA kind of sometimes. I And I feel like here, just even the moments I have where things don't feel normal like that, like people coming up to me and talking to me or whatever, like they're so kind here that it doesn't really matter. I think LA was a place for me where everything, just even going and getting a coffee and having four to five to six paparazzi follow me to get a coffee or, you know, especially with things that are, I'm not really the ones stirring up much of a media storm personally, you know, but things will happen in my family and I will get somewhat of a tail end effect of it by being followed and people following me and asking me about whatever's happening in the news or whatever news headline is happening during that time and whatever. And it's just constant harassment that after a while I was like, this is really detrimental to my mental health to like get out of here, you know, <laughs> cause it's just it's not just the people. It's not just paparazzi. It's not, it's just all of it. It feels abnormal to me. And I've always wanted to find normalcy since I was a little kid. Cause I had such an abnormal upbringing, you know? So I'm like at this stage in my life, I'm like, I'm trying to find that control, you know? Do you think like, and obviously, and, and there's so much to talk about, I've got a thousand questions going on through my mind, but it sounds like on one end of the spectrum throughout your life, you've been able to travel the world, meet cool people, learn a lot, be open to certain opportunities and stuff, but from a mental health side of things and, and kind of like, it sounds like it comes with its own sense of pressure and burden and judgment and kind of like unease at times. Like, 
Do you feel like someone's watching every step that you take? Maybe you're getting looked at or judged or you might put a foot out of place and you might get spoken about and it might look bad. And like, does that ever go through your mind or not? Oh God. Yeah. I mean, here it's like, I can wear sweatpants and a shirt and go and get a coffee and know that not a single person, everyone else is going to be in sweatpants here and a shirt and a puffer jacket. And Everyone here hikes every single day. It's about nature, being outside. Like no one's really who's who and who's what and what are you wearing and what, you know. And I think when I was in LA, I mean, there's a point that you get to, which I I got to this point pre-COVID. I got to this point where, and I'd be lying if I said it still doesn't affect me in some way, but I really did get to this point where I got so used to people taking my photograph looking like a disaster. Like I'll just be not even thinking about my hair. My hair's in a bun. I'm going here. I'm going there. I have so many photos. If you Google my name, there's so many photos of me where I look like a train wreck. And I got for so long since I started modeling and I'd read comments about like shoots I did, you know, this is when I was 16, 17, I would read comments constantly to the point where it would really fuck with me like so badly. Like, I think I started going crazy. Like I would think like, what can I do to change this about myself? Or I was so deep in my, you know, eating disorders and all my issues that I had. Then I finally got to this point where I stopped reading comments. Like I got to this place where I don't know if you've ever seen like the way Adam Sandler looks when he goes anywhere. It's kind of like a thing. He just always looks like the most chic slob in the world, you know? I channeled my inner Adam Sandler energy and I just went everywhere as I wanted to, not even giving a fuck anymore, honestly. You sort of gave up on it all. I love to get dressed. I love to look good. I love to go out. You know, I have my moments, but I'm not someone who plan outfits to go and get photographed, to go to a grocery store. And in my head, I'm like, I'm fucking going to Whole Foods. I'm getting five things. I'm not thinking about what photographs are going to be taken of me at Whole Foods today. Like, I don't think that way and I can't think that way. So I think I got to this place of truly not giving a fuck after a while because I was just like, am I really going to let these people tear me apart on the internet? These like keyboard warrior internet troll assholes write whatever about me. God knows what they're doing with their lives or where they are or how. And I just started to feel sorry for them. You know, like they have to be in this incredibly dark headspace And to be over there click clacking at home, like thinking they're accomplishing something or winning something by tearing me down. It just got to a point where I just started to kind of like channel that into empathy for those people. And compassion. And compassion, just because I can't imagine having all the time in the world. They don't realize like how sad that looks, like how much time you have to sit there and write shit about people all day. And on top of that, what you just said, you know, like looking over my shoulder all the time, that's another huge reason of a hundred reasons why I left LA because I would go places with my friends and I would be like, we're, we're getting photographed right now. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I feel it. Like, I know we're getting photographed right now. And I have this sixth sense where I, I know that there's paparazzi everywhere I am all the time, or when people are taking iPhone videos or anything, I mean, There are times where I've been wasted at clubs and I've like sobered up because I've just felt someone filming me or I felt something. And I have this sense of I can feel people following me around and I'm always right. Like those photos always come out or whatever. And just more so like I would go to the beach a lot when I was in LA because California beaches. Hello. You know, I love going to the beach. I love being at the beach, but 
it's really hard when you have so many issues with body dysmorphia and body image issues and you go to a beach and every single time you go to a beach in somewhere like Malibu, which is just celebrity hotspot, Ville, USA, you know, and you're getting photographed every time you go to the beach, having these photos come out and then you go on Instagram and see, you know, just Jared or entertainment tonight or E online or this or that, or whatever, post these bikini photos of you. And then you see the comments of people tearing me apart about how fat I am or my cellulite or this or that, like after a while it builds up, you know what I mean? And you can almost let it win by having just this full blown fear and never going out again and never being in a bikini again and protecting yourself and whatever, or you can just live your life and not really give a fuck, you know? And I, chose that, but I would be lying if I said I didn't check comments sometimes and it gets to you, you know, there's no way around it. It, it hurts no matter what, you know, and it would build up over time. Like, like you said, as much as you probably try to ignore it or not look at it or change your mindset or look at, at a different lens over time, if, if someone's saying certain things repetitively, you start to believe those things. That's a natural thing of life. Yeah. It sounds like definitely a blessing and a curse and you've probably learned a lot about yourself and you're still learning a lot about yourself and you're probably in this position in your life right this very moment because of the stars align, the way life is. When you look back over the last 26 years or 25 years, whatever it is, you're going to have a lot of good things that you've learned and a lot of things that you're grateful you learned because it's made you a better person. What has been the breaking point for you? What has been like the turning point in the last 26 years in your life that's made you either better for worse or a better person or you've just learned something because it was just really fucked up? Is there anything that stands out to you? Yeah. I mean, there's really like three times where I've had somewhat of some kind of breaking point where I've had to just either accept life's lesson and really learn from it and choose to grow or let it completely destroy me, you know, but I'm here because every single time I've let it teach me the lesson it needed to. I had been in a really difficult relationship at one point when I was younger, that relationship led me to having, I mean, really like there was just so many issues from my parents' divorce to eating disorders that I was sort of harboring a lot of emotions and pain and traumas, sexual abuse, things I had experienced that I had never opened up to anybody about or talked about or processed at all up until I was 19 years old. So I hadn't even turned 20 yet. And a lot had happened in my life that I hadn't even thought to let out in some way. And I was harboring all these feelings. I got in this relationship and this relationship wasn't what I thought it was ever going to be, took a toll on me. And I actually went and stayed at a mental health facility for six months. It's originally a drug and alcohol treatment center because I was abusing alcohol and substances during this relationship, not very frequently by any means, but I have a lot of substance abuse issues in my family. And I kind of chalked it off to that, like, oh, I must be a drug addict or I must be an alcoholic. It has to be that. Going to this treatment facility was the greatest decision I ever made in my life. And I didn't actually make that decision. My family made that decision for me. They're like, you have to go somewhere. Because I had one night in particular where I got extremely loaded, drunk, and I took way too much Xanax and I could have died. 
And I could have taken my life because I stood off of a railing of a balcony. And I don't remember any of this at all. I was completely blacked out, but I was in such a bad place. And I wanted out of this relationship. I've never dealt with depression in my life. I've severe anxiety issues, but not depression. So this was just totally out of character for me. Like I got to this horribly dark place went to a treatment facility thinking I was going to deal with drugs and alcohol, even though I I really don't have an addictive bone in my body. And from that, you know, from being there and from that learning journey and that experience and that healing journey, really, I've learned that I have this addiction to people and to fixing people. I have like empathy to the point where it is disastrous. (laughs) Like I will do anything and I will threaten my own life to fix people and help people. Um, And that's my problem. And it gets me in really, really dark places. That was probably my first experience. um, That was really the biggest turning point in my life was going and taking care of these problems and healing myself, healing my relationships with my family and my friends. And, um, you know, I didn't talk to anybody for like a year. I was just, I was a completely different shell of a human. Like I hadn't faced things that needed to be faced for so long. And then I got out of that and I've stumbled along the way. I've learned things. I've had breakups. I learned lessons, whatever. But I really think it wasn't until before COVID, I was getting out of another relationship during COVID. And it was a relationship that also probably needed to end a long time ago. And that was something where I had a lot of learning to do about who I am and what I want. And I, again, was being somebody that I wasn't, I was going back to old patterns. I was turning into somebody that was just trying to do whatever I could to possibly please this person. Again, I was falling back into those habits. When he broke up with me, it was kind of like an eye-opening kind of awakening that I had again. And I had just moved here to Oregon and I kind of like opened up my mind. I opened up my heart. I became like a yes person. I just started saying yes to anything really like going and meeting new people. And I'm a very introverted, very private person. So I usually like, I could go out like two nights a week or one night a week or something. I really keep to myself. So I became somebody who just was open to making new friends and living my life again And then I met like the greatest guy in the world who I'm with now. And my whole life just turned around when I just shed that skin, you know, like a snake. Like I just, I shed that skin and I moved forward and I just accepted my faults and my flaws and what I needed to work on. And those were the two major points so far that I've had just a real kind of awakening, you know, a real turnaround. I really appreciate you sharing that obviously with all of us, you just mentioned that, like it takes going through those times though, doesn't it, Ireland, to get to a place where you are right this moment to go, you know what? I reflect on that. They were shit times, but I learned a lot. I got to choose how I was going to deal with that and look where you are right now. You know what I mean? No one's life's perfect. No. And I think like also just eliminating the shame out of failure and eliminating the shame out of the human experience, because I think that's something that all of us carry when we make mistakes and when we hurt people, when we hurt ourselves, when things feel like they're falling apart, there's this shame and guilt. And that's kind of what drives people into the shallow place, into a dark space. And I think like knowing that life is so short, there's always a way to 
put your past behind you and move forward and become a better person. I mean, obviously there's some circumstances where some people have done far worse than other people, but it's okay to fuck up and it's okay to get to these places and to lose certain friends. And if you don't really experience that hurt, you'll never grow and you'll never learn. You'll never have a comparison. So yeah, got to do it. Yeah, you've got to do it. And it's something you've definitely got to get through. Now, I want to I want to speak about, you know, your own anxiety issues and stuff. And we'll get to that in a minute. But you mentioned, you know, the family breakup and the divorce. Did that have a big impact on Little Island? Looking back on it now, like, was that chaos? Or was it just because it was a combination of being in the public spotlight? Talk to me through that part. And what is your relationship like with the rest of your family today? Well, I'll start by saying my relationship with both of my parents is great. My parents are friendly. I wouldn't call them best friends by any means, but they get along. They talk sometimes. It's totally cordial. And I love my stepmom. I love my mom's boyfriend. Like everybody's met. Everybody's cool. It's in a good place. You know, plenty of my friends' parents got divorced growing up. Like plenty of people I know get divorced now. My family did. I was seven. Yeah. I mean, it's something where I feel like either if you really had that like loving, close family dynamic for so long, and then your parents, there's a few points I want to make. And one being that your parents are people. They're not these superheroes that you hold them up to this standard in your mind when you're younger. And you think that they're the all knowing kind of almighty (laughs) pillars of perfection. They're not, they're people. So when you start to live your life and go through breakups and go through, you know, realizing that people change and people move forward and and grow apart, you know, you learn that like, oh, wait, my parents are probably having those experiences too. You know what I mean? They're not like this unit that's like always meant to be and like they have their issues and we kind of fail to like understand that and see that when we're younger. I never had that closeness with my parents. Like we never had this like, really tight family at the dinner table every night unit. You know what I mean? Like that was never something I knew because I think it affects people traumatically when it's like you all had this closeness for so long and then all of a sudden it's gone. You know what I mean? And we didn't have that. Like my parents worked their asses off. They were gone shooting movies, sometimes up to six months at a time in a different country and coming back and seeing me and whatever. My parents are very, 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 very different people. And even if we weren't a well-known family at all, and they weren't two famous people, I would have rooted for them to get divorced the whole time. Like, you know, I just want my mom to be happy. I just want my dad to be happy. I don't want to be in a household with two people fighting all the time and not getting, I think that that's even more traumatizing. Our parents who stay together, we're going to do it for our kids. And then when they go away to college, we'll say, I think that that's so fucked up. I think if you're going to raise kids in a house and you think you're hiding it well, and you think you're keeping it from your kids, you're fucking not because kids are pick up on everything. They see things that you don't even realize they pick up on energy, especially if they're really intuitive. And I am in that way. I can feel my mom doesn't even have to say anything. My dad doesn't even have to say anything. I know they're hurting. I could just look at them. I can hear them the way they say like, hi on the phone. And I know, you know, So I just think hiding that from your kids and thinking that that's working is crazy. I know people don't get divorced for financial reasons and a lot of other reasons. And some people want to make it work. And maybe that's great too. Therapy is great. Couples therapy. But my parents were so beyond that point. They're just couldn't be more different. 
So what was traumatizing for me about the divorce wasn't the divorce itself. It was how everybody else in the world made it out to be like how headlines blew things up and how this phrase said in the courtroom one day was taken and turned into this bigger thing than it really was or this or that. And really the worst part about it was they would say now they completely regret it and they would not have done it again if they could go back. But there was this extremely unnecessary custody battle over me between my parents My parents were just both in a completely different dark headspace. And there was some rivalry there, like trying to get back at each other by fighting over me, you know? And I don't think they really realized in the moment that that's what was happening, but it was happening. No one ever like stopped and asked me what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go or who I wanted to be with for Christmas or like being told by a courtroom that I have to get on a plane and be taken away from my mom is fucked up. You know, however you look at it, if I wanted to be with my mom for Christmas and I say, that's what I want to do. That's what should be done. You know, there were times where maybe I wanted to go see my dad or I wanted to go, you know, whatever, but no one ever really stopped to ask me what I wanted. And I think that that's really what became traumatizing because kids need consistency and they need normalcy and they need a schedule. And I didn't have that at all. I had like a court appointed schedule and having to go back and forth from parents' house to another, it's fucked up. And you, and you kind of like lose your sense of self a little bit. You'd make different friends in different places and it gets like, you have to leave them. You have to leave, you know what I mean? It's just, it's never consistent. And that's what kids need is consistency. How old were you at this stage? I think my parents got divorced when I was like 10 or 11. It's a lot to take on, especially the way you're explaining. I've never quite looked at it that way, being dragged back and forth, losing your sense of self. It's a lot to take on at a young person's age. I don't know what other people's arrangements have been, but I know like my friends who have divorced parents, like they have, you know, they go to their dads for the weekend or they go to their moms or whatever. The fact that I had to go to a court appointed therapist because I had to go speak to this therapist who would then go and like testify kind of like on my behalf in court, me having to go to court to testify against my parents and stuff like that's just stuff a kid should never have to do. Like you should just never, ever be expected to do anything like that. It's so fucked up and vile and ridiculous. And the childcare, like justice system, whatever you would even, it's fucked. Like, it's just, it's, horrible. It's a horrible, dark darkness. And I think like it ultimately should be up to a kid. The kid knows what is best for them. I hate when people say, well, your parents know what's best for you. That's not always true. You know, like your parents sometimes have ulterior motives. And I think asking a kid like where they want to be and who they want to be with, that's the way it should be. You know, obviously there's other circumstances where a parent is unfit or can't keep them or whatever. I understand that too, but like my parents are very well off, very capable people that, you know, could have used their voices to just communicate with each other or not through lawyers, but they could have just kind of resolved it. And I think it just got blown out of proportion by the media and that made them more angry and created more resentment and more issues. And it just became like this like wildfire that was just like spreading in my family, you know? But yeah, I came out the other side. (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot though. And it certainly can make issues seem a lot worse in the public eye than what they truly are. And then they can get people in their own head. And then you're looking at something, especially if you're 
constantly reading the media and you're looking at comments, you start believing that stuff. And you're like, did that, did they say that about them? Is that true? And then it's like, you don't really know the difference between what's actually really true and what is wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. People chiming in too. Like I just, something came up yesterday and someone wrote me something on a comment on a video. And I, and I, like, again, I try not to look at comments, but sometimes I just do. Cause if it's something where I'm like asking people's opinions about something or whatever, then I will, of course. And just someone had this comment about something and it was so specific, like as if they knew my family or they knew something more than I would know. And I just think that that confidence that people have is so funny to me. Like people that are like, well, no, no, your dad did this. They are my mom and my dad. Like you realize that, right? Like You have no idea. And, you know, I don't know. I, there's so many articles that have been out there that have like stuck with me, like headlines that have stuck with me since I was 10 and 11 and 12 and 13. And, you know, it just becomes so embarrassing to deal with at school. Like, I mean, I have things that have happened to me where I've, you know, been taken out of a classroom because I had to talk to a lawyer about something or I have to do, I like, it just disrupted my life. Like it disrupted my childhood and it was like for your parents to figure out and keep you out of, you know. Definitely sounded like you went through a lot different experience than what I went through with my family's divorce. And it wasn't pleasant at the start of it either. But when you mentioned about going from weekend to every other weekend, spending time with my father's or my mother's, it was kind of like that. And while they weren't the best of friends and it wasn't ideal, it definitely had an impact on me, but it was very different than your experience. You know what I mean? There's no way that it's like easy for anybody. You know what I mean? And it affects you growing up. I mean, as a young person, we shouldn't have to feel like we go through those things where it feels like chaos and things are out of your control and it makes you feel different and, and it normal doesn't exist. And, and I feel like it definitely does take its toll on you as a human when you grow up. They say most of your challenges and anxieties and things like that occur. And the first thing a psychologist will probably ask you or a psychiatrist when you go see them, and I see one regularly, is talk to me about your childhood. What was that experience like? Because that's generally where it starts. But speaking of that, and, and I have one more thing just quickly, and I don't want to get stuck on this because I want to I want to learn more about you and your genuine feelings and connections to mental health in particular and how you cope on it with a day-to-day basis. The latest experience, obviously, when I don't want to talk too much about this with your father going through the film stuff and, and the shooting and whatnot. Has that had an impact directly on your life? Yeah, I mean, I don't even want to say that because it's like, how can you even say that? I mean, you know, the only thing I think about in this whole situation and this tragedy is one to think that people can politicize or make any other argument other than it was an accident to me is absolutely criminally insane. You know, there's so many things I obviously can't speak on. And there's a lot of things I don't even know. And I, and I wouldn't even want to speak on at all other than I feel horrible for my dad. I can't even like wrap my head around what that would feel like, you know, because despite what a lot of people think about my dad or read about my dad or see, you know, with any of his outbursts, with his anger issues and this and that, you know, my dad is a deeply empathetic person and caring person, exactly like me to the way where it like destroys him. And for him of all people to, you know, not that anybody ever deserves anything like this to happen to them. I feel so deeply for him because I think like, you know, he's going to forever be traumatized by this experience in ways that I could never even begin to understand. 
I don't think about myself at all, really, because the only thing that it reflects on me is I I just get really defensive and angry on my dad's behalf. You know, I feel like I want to protect him when I see people say otherwise that this isn't an accident or, you know, speak on like Trump's rhetoric that, you know, my he said something about my dad and gun safety and God knows whatever he said. And that makes me defensive. But the only thing I really care about is at the end of the day, you know, a little boy lost his mom. and. That's also a little boy now who's going to be caught up in this media storm and is going to see these things forever as he gets older and he looks, you know, any of this up or, you know what I mean? Like it's going to live on the internet forever. Like that's all I think about is whenever there's a kid. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Get involved in anything. I just think about them. My heart breaks for that kid. I mean, besides the fact that he lost his mom, I mean, in that way, it's like people are being so disrespectful and so awful on the internet about it. In no way am I relating my own personal experience to that because that's just beyond, you know, that's so different. But anytime a kid is involved in anything, that's like the only concern I have is the kid. 
yeah, words can't even describe what must be going through people's minds and especially your father's and the impact that that's had on Elena's family's lives. And all. it's sad. And like you mentioned, the young boy, I mean, you're an empath, Ireland. You're an empath. Yeah. That is a double-edged sword at times because you care so much about someone that can get you into trouble and then you can make bad decisions. I've been there in the past. But no, I, I'm very grateful for you to share that part with me. And it's so mind-boggling when no one knows and there's so much shit just in general, not even about this story, everything. It's like people think they're experts at everything. At everything. It's crazy to me. Everyone's a psychologist and I'm just like, you have no idea what people go through unless you've gone through the same and come out of it with like, you're just have something positive to say or something uplifting or help people. But people are just so disgusting. And I think social media has created a safe space for people to be that way. And I just, I wish there was some other way of censorship or something. And I know, I mean, I'm very against censorship, but I get so angry that people can just say what they say and get away with it. I'm like, it's criminal to me. I think it's your stories when all that stuff went down, it started getting me frustrated and angry. And like, I could only imagine what you must feel. Your family must feel her family and what they, you know what I mean? It's just not right. It's not on. And um, yeah, appreciate you sharing that with us. Obviously, scrolling through and talking about social media, I want to ask you one thing now. What's your biggest advice for people who suffer with looking at people's posts and comments and keyboard warriors and stuff? Like, what do you do? Is it just ignoring it, not looking at it? Is it blocking people? Is it staying strong to your value? Like, where do you start? Because this this issue is very common with a lot of different topics. I really got to a place where I just have to really pick and choose a day when I'm actually going to look at comments on something. To be fair, like I really do have a lot of really supportive followers and people who write me really wonderful, supportive, kind and caring messages. And I look to those. I don't like to say like I don't read anything at all because I have a lot of really incredible exchanges with people on Instagram. And I, whenever I post about my anxiety, I try to be available to people and have like one-on-one conversation with people who are suffering the same way that I am, or if I can, you know, give them any relief or advice or anything. But I mean, to really just like manage, I'm really bad. Like I, I'm usually working on Instagram, like I'm posting for brands or I'm doing deals and stuff like that. So I'm on Instagram like every day. And sometimes I have to tell myself, you're not fucking going on Instagram tomorrow or this weekend or for a week, like just put it away. And I know that's so hard because some people are really highly addicted to it. And, you know, it's really hard to tell people what to do in that regard. But I mean, it's more like for me personally, I just, I sometimes have to give myself a break and just not go on anything. And the biggest one I'd say is if you're someone who's really easily triggered by other people, you're never going to be at peace. (laughs) That's on social media, you know? But what I did was I unfollowed people who upset me or people who maybe I just had bad experience with or anything negative at all. Like I just unfollowed. And what I like to do almost every year is like, I'll unfollow just a bunch of people because maybe it's people that aren't even necessarily intentionally trying to be hurtful in any way, but maybe it's like, a message they spread that I don't like, or it's this, or it's that, or it's there. It's important to obviously open your mind and 
and open yourself to people with different opposing opinions than your own. You can't just like shelter yourself and not, you know, but I think like sometimes I've had to curate my feed to be like food and puppies and like just positive people and good things. Cause I want to go on there and like feel good. I don't want to come off. And obviously with everything going on in this world and what's always been going on in this world, there's a quote that this activist that I just recently started following her, I think it's Taylor McNeely or McNeil. I'm not sure, but she said something like every day is consistently devastating when you pay attention to the world around you. She said that and I thought about that and I was like, there's things that have been going on in this world every day, always. Like there's some forms of wars and conflict and things happening and people dying and horrific things happening every single day. And that doesn't take away from what's happening right now. It's just, if you pay attention, the world is a devastating place. It's a beautiful, wonderful place, but it's also a really dark, devastating place. And I think sometimes people choose to kind of repost the infographics on Instagram and act really involved and be like, you know, posting these donation links about Ukraine and this and that. But people kind of like pick and choose what kind of is best for them. And then they kind of like move on from it. And that's performative activism to me, because it's like if you're going to be an activist you have to be there for the follow through and for the fallout of it all. You know, you can't just repost what your friends are for like a couple of days. And that also doesn't mean you can't live your life, post your photos, be on a beach, be doing this, be that. You can't like be entirely guilty every single day either. Just, I think like if you're someone like me who is extremely empathetic and I'm seeing photos of people and buildings being blown up around them and blood all over their face. And I'm seeing these things, like I feel like my heart fucking breaks because I'm an normal person. And I, and I see that. And I think, I think sometimes it's okay to put your phone down, to turn the news off and to just unwind and to disconnect for a minute. You know, I think that that's totally okay. Cause you have to take care of yourself so that you can be strong enough to help other people and to spread a message and spread donation links and post and donate and, and be involved and, and wh- however you want to be involved. I think you have to take care of you because you will completely deplete yourself to the point where you'll be useless. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, def- definitely. It's one of our big mottos. It's a, something that I try and live by. You know, I love that you brought up that quote because I, I believe in that wholeheartedly because you see things coming up, one hit wonders, people supporting this, but, but there's never really any follow through. It's not kind of like part of their values. It's because most of society or most of their circles are jumping on the same bandwagon. You know what I mean? So it's not really... It's not a full, it doesn't come across too authentic all the time. That's not saying you have to jump on a plane and like fly to Ukraine and defend Ukraine right now. You know, it's just like you can do what you're capable of and what you're comfortable with. But I think if you're going to publicly kind of assert that you're trying to make some kind of a difference, I think like you should be there all the way through basically. You know what I'm saying? I guess sometimes where I can see it, see it for what it is. And there's some people who post really informative stuff and are, you know, trying to keep positive and also are like, you know, be, I mean, being realistic, but helping, like making a difference and helping people and, you know, guiding people to follow this or uh, post this or repost, whatever. But then there's people I feel like that just don't even like they, again, like you just said, they do it because people in their social circle are, and it just is convenient or they feel guilty because it makes them look bad if they don't post it. And I'm kind of like, you know, I mean, 
it's kind of steering off the topic, but if you're somebody who does get really affected by the news and like the heaviness of the world all the time, then I think it's okay to like disconnect sometimes and just give your brain and your heart a break, you know? I think that's perfectly said. And I think that's a great strategy. And I think that's definitely a great, I, I, I really like how you, you, you shill every year on your Insta and you go through and make sure the people you follow. I, I really like that. I fuck with that. That's great. It's a good, you know, when you're advice. out with people and they're like, let's all follow each other, you're hanging out. With friends. And these are people like you're never going to see again, or you might run into them once at a party again. Like they're people that like I see and it's draining. Like it's so draining. Instagram is draining to me. Maybe it's different for you or for anyone, but it's so draining. And if I'm seeing people, it's not a numbers thing. It's not like I need limited following count or whatever. I don't give a shit, but it's more like I'll see shit. And I'm like, who even was that person? Or <laughs> like, like, why do I care? Or why am I letting this post bother me or whatever? So I don't know. It helps me to. I think that will resonate really well with a lot of people, but you know what really resonated with me when I was scrolling um, through Instagram one day? And I saw a post that you put up and it was a post around, um, you, you were very open about sharing your anxieties and it was in particular around having a, a blood pressure monitor and the talking about the EKG and the, the car, the cardiophobia, I think you, you, you were calling it, um, referring to it as why I resonated very much with that is because. I've got a story of my own, which I'll share in a moment, but I want to, I want to find out from you, Ireland, where, where that sort of came from. Where does that panic, this level of anxiety after you're having coffees or the need to have that safe, safe haven in the blood pressure thing with you all the time, or no, you know, knowing that if your blood's right, you're going to feel right. Where, where does that come from for you? Where do you feel like that anxiety sort of stem from? Was there a life experience for you? that kind of like triggered that issue with your heart, like you're going to die? Or was that something that just happened out of thin air? Like, can you talk me through that? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple. I don't remember how old I was, but I was little, like probably nine, eight, nine, ten. I saw a guy have a heart attack in a movie theater and I never unsaw that. <laughs> like I saw him die in the movie theater and he was an older gentleman. He was a larger gentleman. And that's not saying large is unhealthy at all, by the way, but he was much older. Like it was his age and like, there was a lot of determining factors, but I saw that and it just, it in some way traumatized me. Like I never, you know, had seen anyone die and I saw that and I just, I thought about it and thought about it and then it went away. I never thought about it again. And I started to have these, uh, because my mom suffers and deals with panic disorder and anxiety disorder as well. And, um, I've always had anxiety attacks since I was a little kid, but it was never really very severe. And it was so rare, you know, it was like once a year kind of thing. I would have like one day of being like really overwhelmed or this or that, whatever. And it really wasn't until I was in that abusive relationship that I had mentioned in the earlier, earlier, earlier days when I was 19 and stuff, I was so like just caught up in it. And I was so gang and, and kind of self-medicating and like, wasn't really dealing with anything. And it wasn't until like seven years ago that I started noticing and becoming like extremely aware of my heartbeat. 
um, to the point where like I'd lie in bed at night and all I could hear like in my ears was my heartbeat. And then in the day, sometimes I would zone out or I would kind of like, you know, when you space out and you start staring, like I'd stare and then I'd just feel my heartbeat. And then I'd feel it going faster and faster and faster and faster. And, you know, I never really knew what health anxiety was. I had never even looked into it or thought of it. I just, you know, I, I was convinced I had a heart problem. So I ran $6,500 worth of heart tests that I got done. Like I got like every fucking heart test you can possibly imagine done for every possible condition and any possible thing. And I was basically told by my then doctor, you're totally fine. You know, everything looks great. Everything around your heart looks great. Like you're very healthy, whatever that kind of lasted a while after the doctor's appointment, I was like, okay, I'm healthy. I'm healthy. I'm, I'm okay. That's great. And then it all kind of like came back. And when I looked into what health anxiety is, essentially it's like anything, it could be like a bump I have on my foot. That's, you know, a normal thing, or uh, it could be like any normal, normal bodily feeling or sensation I have internally. I instantly go to a place in my head that I'm going to die. And I have like, a, I'm having a stroke or I'm having something. So I basically like got to a point where I was going to the hospital, like frequently for these panic attacks. And the only thing, it didn't matter what anyone said around me, you could sit me down and pat my back and give me a glass of water and tell me I'm fine. And it's just a panic attack. It didn't matter. I had to have a doctor tell me that I was fine. Like a doctor was the determining factor that would alleviate this feeling that I had. Like it was, I had to speak to a doctor. I had to see an EKG panel. I had to see like a heart monitor. And sometimes I would just go to the, the hospital and just sit in the parking lot and my anxiety would go away just knowing I was close to a hospital. Other times I would actually have to get checked in. I would go to a hospital as it started to manifest itself. I just kind of learned like what my triggers were. I learned, you know, I had actually had this for so long. I mean, since I was a kid, but it just really didn't get as bad until I got older. And I think some things definitely kind of push it along and make it worse, you know, with stress and drinking alcohol and caffeine for me and a lot of food triggers, a lot of different things, environmental people triggers. LA was a trigger. Like a lot of things triggered this anxiety that I have, but you know, a lot of people have panic attacks kind of breathe through it and then, you know, they're okay. Or it manifests in different ways for different people. And for me, it just has become health anxiety. Like it's become just about my heart then I did deeper research and I learned about cardiophobia being a thing, which is essentially just the fear of your heart and your heartbeat and, and kind of having like a hyper-focused sense of your heart. Like it's just, yeah, to the point where it just like totally clouds like your whole brain, you know, it's all you're thinking about. So what you just said then and what you've just explained mm -hmm. is exactly what I've been going through more severely so in the last two years. Have you found a coping mechanism for it as of right now? Like when your heart's going quick, right? You're having a coffee or you're feeling extremely sensitive because your bodily sensations can sometimes persist so hard that you can barely even think about the words that you're saying or what someone else is saying. You're just so 
caught up in the way your sweaty palms are. Your heart rate's going quick. You'll put your fingers on your neck and test. Oh my God. Like all this stuff. I've got a headache. Oh my God. My vision is kind of a little bit blurry. I must be having a heart attack. I'm convincing myself that I'm going to be taking my last breath right now. Is that kind of how you felt? No, that's exactly. I walk around like this all day. It's like the sweaty palms, the blurry vision, the like feeling almost like out of body. If I'm in public, I'm like not there, but I'm there. And it's like, you feel like you're going to pass out. I mean, it's like all really specific. I mean, I have so many things that have helped me, but one thing is really interesting is (laughs) this is also a very dark place, but if you go on Reddit and like follow like a health anxiety forum of like a community of people that talk about it, it's really interesting how many people feel exactly the same as you. And when I posted that heart monitor picture, the amount of messages I got, like, I'm, I'm not even kidding. I got over 500 messages from people who all were like, I never thought of that. Like, that's exactly how I feel. I have this too. I didn't know cardiophobia is a thing. I didn't. And it's so crazy how many people shared that same experience that we have, but really like before you share your story, because I want to hear it, I will say if you drink coffee, I know you're Australian, so you're going to hate this, but coffee is like the worst fucking thing for it. Like coffee and caffeine and for your heart rate and your blood vessels. And I had to completely cut coffee out. I pick and choose. Like sometimes I'll have a cup of coffee and I'll get away with it and I'm fine. But really like something I had in common with so many people was on this forum was like coffee was such a severe trigger of it because it just naturally gets your heart going alcohol. I mean, I love to drink. I know you love to drink too sometimes and let loose and have fun. And, you know, it's like the day after is usually the worst for me. Like I'm dying. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if you're really, 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 really struggling, like I have been at times in my life, cutting alcohol, cutting coffee, really what you put in your body, what you feed yourself, like how clean you eat is so important. And that's another thing with health anxiety is you think you're like allergic to everything. You think, oh, it must be like a gluten allergy. Oh, I must be having an allergic reaction. No, (laughs) you're just eating things that are like building your blood pressure or making your blood pressure go up and you're eating things that are, you know, bad for your body anyway, you know, by eating a lot of sugar and a lot of, a lot of sodium rich fatty shit, you know, you're, you're causing your digestive system to work overtime sometimes. And those sensations you're feeling is your digestive system working, which is very normal, but we feel our hearts get like fast, you know? So that's all we think about and focus and hone in on is like the heartbeat side of it. But I've learned so many things like drinking more green tea, drinking more green tea, learning how to breathe, whether that's going on YouTube and looking up like an anxiety specialist, teaching you how to breathe, getting an app or going and seeing a guy. I went into a specialist. His name is literally Dr. Doctor. (laughs) And he just taught me how to breathe. And it was like this deep belly breathing that really you learn in yoga. So yoga is a huge one for me. Like the more I move around, the more I just, when I start to feel that panic, if I just say, Hey guys, I'm going for a walk. I go for a walk. I come back. I feel better. Usually nine out of 10 times, just being active bowl of ice water face, jumping in like a cold body of water and in a cold shower, like helps me immediately. And vagus nerve, like release and vagus nerve exercises and stuff like that. 
you know, I have like vagus nerve pillow mists and sprays that I spray on my bed before I go to bed and on my clothes. Like I'm always breathing these oils that help me. And then like one of the biggest ones is I don't take prescription meds. For me, I totally understand when people have to do what they have to do for themselves. Um, and there's specific things I totally get that people need to be medicated for, but specifically with anxiety, I feel like it really is something. And I advocate super hard for this, that there's so much other healing you need to do before you can just slap like prescription meds on it. You know, it really comes down to, I have so many people I know that are on so many different medications for their anxiety who call me all the time. And they're like, yeah, no, I'm just really anxious today, or I'm still really anxious, or I'm having this, I'm having that. I'm like, look at how you eat. Look at how much coffee you drink. You wake up first thing in the morning, you drink coffee and you don't even eat anything until noon. Like your lifestyle is the problem. It's not that you need to be medicated. I think you try all these things first. And if all of the big life changes don't work and you need medication to accompany it, that's okay. But I think like, I even just started taking this supplement herb that really helps with anxiety and I'm forgetting what it is. But the one that really helps for me is magnesium at night. I take, I'm going to fuck this up, but it's the magnesium glycerate or glycer something. It's with a G because there's many different magnesiums for different things, but even just taking magnesium at night and drinking my sleepy time tea and getting like a really good night's sleep and like just living in like trying to be as peaceful as possible really helps and being active and shocking your system when you're in, when you're in it, not like the other stuff that I was just saying, the magnesium and all that, that's like preventative. But like when you're in the attack and it's happening, I have to get in a cold body of water immediately. If I'm at a party, I'll be like, I'm going and jumping in the ocean right now. Here's an example. So yesterday was my first panic attack in a really long time. I hurt myself yesterday. We won't say how, but I hurt myself. And I went into this like full, just health anxiety, full mode yesterday. And my boyfriend's pretty seasoned at this point and he's seen it and he's very helpful and very comforting for me. And that's the other biggest thing I'm about to make a, the biggest point ever. But yeah, I just, I had like a full blown attack yesterday bad. Cause I thought something was a lot worse than it actually ended up being. Um, and I was really panicking. I was like, I think we should just go to the hospital, but my doctor ended up calling and she was like, Oh, just come in. And anyway, my biggest point I wanted to make was a lot of this has to do with the people you surround yourself with. You may not want to accept it, but the people around you could be making you this anxious and could be keeping you on edge. You could be with a partner, you could be married to somebody or dating somebody who you don't even realize is the root cause of this. You could be with friends that, you know, expect a lot of you or really drain you or people around you at work or family that, you know, you're trying to put family first and you're not realizing that it's really harming you. I think that was the biggest one for me was realizing that I have like a boy, the boyfriend I have now, the friends I have now are people that make me feel safe and make me feel comfortable. And I think that that's the biggest thing I could ever tell people is it's almost like an elimination diet, like a life elimination diet. It's like eliminate the foods, eliminate the drinking, eliminate the caffeine, but eliminate the people. People have such a toxic effect on you in a way that you just don't even realize sometimes, you know, 
and nothing's worse. I don't know if, you know, with Nadia, with you, like if you're in it, you know, I'm sure she's like extremely comforting to you or supportive, like having that person is like night and day difference because compared to my ex-boyfriends to the guy that I'm with now, like he just knows what to say and how to bring me out of it and how to be supportive. You know what I mean? He doesn't question it. When I'm like, I have to go to the hospital, my ex-boyfriends would be like, really right now? Yeah, like judgmental and that just adds to that anxiety of not feeling. Not necessarily their fault. Like maybe they don't know how to be, but I'm with now. He's like, all right, I'll get the keys. Like, let's go, you know, and then it already starts to go away just because someone Mm. understands me that way in a safe space, I think is where you can be vulnerable and honest and be completely at the, the bottom of that that anxiety fight or that panic attack and know that, you know, you're not being judged or you are taken seriously and you're not, you, your word's your word, you know. Like I have a very similar story and I don't want to talk about too much because we have been going for a while here and I don't want to take any more of your time. But very similar to you, I, I saved this girl's life back in university actually when I was 23, 22 years of age. She was having a cardiac arrest. And she was 20. She was 20. So kind of on the opposite spectrum of, of what you're explaining, having someone that was kind of older and all that. And this girl looked fit and healthy. And I was the first on scene. Island. And I'm walking. Listen to this. I'm walking. I'm walking towards a, a public speaking, like a, an assignment that I was delivering a public speaking um, assignment with two other friends in my class. And I, I remember this one girl, She I don't know what country, she was definitely foreign. My university had a lot of foreigners in it. She's like, this girl, she just dropped and can someone help? And I ran over and I was the first person there and she was starting to convulse. And I, I, I'll never forget this. I could never get it out of my mind. Very similar to you. You'll never forget that moment in the movie theater, ever. It's like ingrained in your mindset. It's what they call vicarious trauma or post-traumatic stress, right? That's what that my doctors and specialists have um described it uh, as very similar to anyway i'm i'm giving her cpr thankfully i know how to give her cpr and at this moment um by probably two or three minutes into it there's probably 50 people around and people are screaming and yelling or asking like teachers for help and i'm right there and then this other teacher comes in and takes over at that moment i'm calling in australia's triple zero not 911 and i've got the ambulance on the phone and the person that's now administering CPR is doing the old school way of CPR. And the guy on the phone is, is going, just breathe, sir, just breathe. This is what I want you to do or to tell the person that's administering CPR and this young lady. Pump heaps of quick beats in the middle of her chest. And when she um, is, is the right color, put her back on her back. And then if she's not put her back on her side and she started going purple, then back out of purple into white, into purple. Anyway, the ambulance got there after maybe eight minutes 10 minutes and this this the the scene was probably 200 people including school student like university students and teachers and it was chaotic there's people yelling screaming and this girl is just she, she's fighting for her life right we're trying to give her cpr and the ambulance people come in with those big machines and and i hear this and i'll never forget it they rip off her shirt and put these things on her chest and it goes three two one stand clear and she just gets air off the ground Anyway, long story short, Ireland, this girl ends up surviving. I got an award from the vice chancellor at Bond University um, and I saved this girl's life along with other people. And, and it wasn't even about that. 
And I thought in that moment it was it was just great that she was alive. Um, I was grateful that she was alive. I found out down the track that she'd actually suffered um, with a heart condition. So it wasn't just out of randomness. And I thought I carried on. I had anxiety in my life at this stage and I just carried on my life as it was. And I, and I had ever since then, um, you know, I thought I was pretty good. And it wasn't until probably three years later, just after Dwayne had passed away um, when he took his life my anxieties were coming back stronger and stronger. And I used starting living as a way to filter some of my anxieties and panic into something to quieten my own mind down, to sort of calm down my own thoughts and thinking and, and severe, you know, problems with myself. And it got to the stage probably during the pandemic, it started back up where I could swear to you, I've, I've had, I've had a fire and an ambulance team at my home in, in West Hollywood with Nadia. I, I could have sworn I, was, I had multiple heart attacks, um, tingles down my left arm, sweating palms, blurred vision in and out of my body, feeling like I'm someone else. And when you were telling me your story, it was kind of like I was listening to myself. You and I are very similar in a lot of regards, compassion, empathy, um, feeling for other people, extremely sensitive in our own bodily sensations. And I and it's so hard, like some people in your life and for people who are listening might think this, but when you're so in your mind and your own body and you feel the way that you feel, no matter what someone says sometimes or even does, it is so hard to think otherwise. Yeah. And I use ice cubes. You said you put your face in cold water. So I have to grab cold water or ice cubes and I splash my face. And I've done this in restaurants. I've done this in bars. I've done this on airplanes. And I did it just most recently in a movie theater down in Ecuador when we watched The Batman. So I can, I can resonate with your island, but you're definitely not alone in that regard. And, and neither am I. And a lot of people, as you mentioned, resonated with your posts that you put out on Insta. Yeah. And I think just like one thing I'll say is with, you know, the heart monitor thing for me, it sounds so stupid, but it's like being able to regulate that and see numbers and see that my heart rate is perfectly where it needs to be just helps me breathe. It helps me concentrate. It helps me bring down my heart rate, knowing that it's not at this like super high and alarming rate, you know? And I think like one thing I just want to say, even based on your experiences, but you have that knowledge, for example, that that girl had a health or had a heart condition. And I know this is so cliche and corny, but knowledge really is power when you have health anxiety or anxiety in general. Um, because you can sort of, you, you can, if you want to, and if you have the means to, you can go and really dive deep into your health history. You can get tests, certain tests done if need be. That's something a lot of people in this health forum talk about is there's no shame in asking your doctor to run a certain set of tests. If that's going to help you, you know, like you can be the thinnest person in the world and have heart complications and health complications. You can be, you know, of any size, look any way. It doesn't matter. Like so many different things are affecting so many different people. I've lost. Um, so I've, I also was, I had another experience where someone actually had a heart attack and died. I didn't see it. I wasn't there, but I was in the same house as somebody who had done like a lot of cocaine and, you know, like there's usually a reason when I say knowledge is power, like there's a, usually a reason 
that these things happen, you know, to people like for me, I got so obsessed with all things medical because having that knowledge and learning and understanding like why the body does this or why regulating this is important or why keeping up with it. Like I, I became kind of fixated on it and it really has helped me because you kind of learn that your body is so much stronger and so much more capable than you can even imagine. Like you can really be put through a lot of trauma before dying or before the end. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, going to trust yourself a bit more. Yeah. You just, exactly. Like having that knowledge and that understanding of your body and your health history. And like, you know, again, like it's just, it's so, it's become so helpful and just so number one for me has been just having that, having that understanding of, of who I am and what makes me like this and what works for me and what doesn't work for me. You know what I mean? So you hit the nail on the head. I think what works for you, Ireland might work for Sam too but not everything. And we're all very different humans. And I think it'd be a lot easier if it was one size fits all, you know, and we had a magic fix, but unfortunately we don't. And, and I think what you did mention now, I think is a big part of it. The breathing. One thing I've learned over definitely over the last 12 months in particular is I'm really making time of the day to practice doing my breathing techniques. And that's generally like a four second in a four second hold and then an eight second out. And that helps me bring down my sympathetic nervous system, which is hard. I mean, these are all strategies. And I think the more strategies that us as humans can then have in our tool belt, the better equipped we're going to be, whether that's like you mentioned, knowledge is power, relationships, the right people in your corner, not following certain people on social media, eating the right foods, not having certain foods or alcohol. Like you and I, we're very similar in all those regards. And it is really true when they say, your you know your past experiences shape who you are today and that's just the way it is and there's a lot of responsibility that we have on humans us ourselves to make those choices to 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 get through these things but knowing like you having that heart monitor or going through the EKG tests and cardio clearances and knowing that your heart is perfectly safe and healthy and 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 run, running at a great beat probably brings you that added extra peace in the moments where you're feeling so out of control. Totally. Yeah. You're a weapon, Ireland. You're an absolute weapon. I could speak to you for hours. I'm very grateful to be here with you. Thanks so much for sharing all of this with us. I want to ask you one thing before we finish this off. What's the biggest piece of advice that you could give to our audience right now? Everyone that's listening. I'll sum this up really quickly, but I was having a panic attack on a plane And this one, I was like, this is going to be the one that kills me. Like I'm going to die right now. This heart attack that's happening. There's no way around it. Death is nearing me. And I was on a plane of all places. So you're in this confined space, like you have nowhere to go, you know, you're in the air, you're fucked, whatever. So it was so bad that they gave me like an oxygen tank. (laughs) It was so embarrassing. It was so bad. But why was I like this? Oh, because I went to an event for an energy drink. And I was drinking like mixed cocktails with like Celsius, you know, I was, I was drinking energy drinks for days and I got really drunk and then had to wake up in Miami and got on a flight to New York the next morning at like 6am. So I did it to myself, but I got on this plane, had a full blown panic attack. And there was this moment where I sort of said to myself, I was like, okay, die. Okay. Die right now. Go. 
do it, die. I'm like, okay, if you're going to die, die, do it right now. You lived a great life. You've had wonderful friends and wonderful experiences. You've done incredible things. There's a lot more you want to do, but if you really think you want to die, then, then do it. And I started saying that to myself as morbid as that sounds. And my anxiety like went away. It was gone. I'm like, yeah. I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, just do it then, you know? And I thought from that experience, it went away. I could breathe again. I sat in my seat, like we landed shortly, whatever. And I thought to myself, I was like, this life is so, so fucking short. And I know people say that everywhere and it's the most cliche thing, but it is true. It's so precious and it's so short. And you being someone who lost a best friend, me being someone who lost a best friend and, you know, just seeing tragedies and horrible things happening in this world every single day and people losing their homes and their families and their lives and everything. It's almost a waste of time and mental space to be anxious because what are we so anxious about? Anxiety is just fear and fear of what? Like we have nothing to be afraid of, you know, death is looming. It is there. It is a a part of life's experience and we're eventually going to get there. But why spend this time, like this extremely precious and valuable time that we have worrying about something that is inevitable, like it's going to come, you know what I mean? Like it's there, but it's just, why not just enjoy the time that we have? And I, and I try to live my every day doing my best to just enjoy every second of every day, because you just don't know what, you know, what tomorrow looks like, what next week looks like, or next month, next year, whatever. And it's just, you see so much pain and so much suffering in this world. And you kind of have to look at that and go like, I could be there. And I could be feeling that and experiencing that, but I'm here in my safe office in this wonderful place. And I'm, you know what I mean? It's like gratitude is everything I think to propel us through this life. Gratitude is everything. So just be thankful for what you do have and where you're at and just give yourself like a pat on the back. You know, you're doing the best you can and we're all doing the best we can. And we all can do a little bit better, I think, but you know, that's for you to discover on your own journey. And yeah. I love that. And it was very beautifully said, Ireland. I mean, truly grateful for your time today. We could talk so much more. We could talk about your screenwriting, your modeling, your acting. There's so much. Maybe we'll pick up another episode in the future. This was an amazing experience. I'm truly, truly honored to have you on the podcast. You're a weapon. Thanks so much for all of your insight. Thank you. Reach out anytime you're having a a health crisis. I'll talk you down. I'll be there for you. You'll be there for me. And we'll speak soon. Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please like, share, and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well, keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a top day. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.